0: <clears throat> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. I am Scott Lease, co founder of the Surf and Sales Summit, along with the Surf and Sales Podcast, here with my good friend and partner, Richard Harris. What's going on, brother?
1: Good to see you again. I felt like up until this week, we hadn't talked in like two weeks. So it's. Uh...
0: I guess you're discounting the, like, 47 text messages about the Warriors (laughs) preseason game that you sent me while I was sleeping last night.
1: Yeah, but it was an exciting game, dude.
0: It was literally preseason, bro.
1: I know, but it was exciting. Oh, my
0: God. Anyways, if you don't know, Richard is a huge Warriors fan, even bigger uh, than I am, I believe. And uh, we're just giving each other a little bit of grief here. Um, We've got a couple open slots left for the Surf and Sales Summit Four, I believe, November 27th through December 1st. Check it out at surfandsales.com. We're going to be talking to Julian Lumpkin here in just a minute. He's got entrepreneurial experience, sales leadership experience, and much, much more. Uh, But first, before we get to that, let's talk about HubSpot and what they're up to, Richard.
1: Absolutely. Thank you to HubSpot for uh, always sponsoring us and supporting the Surf and Sales podcast. Um, You know, We are in the throes of Q4, and uh, it's a really short quarter because it ends up, (laughs) I don't know, right around November 21st, and then you got another week or so. Um, And the cool thing is HubSpot has this amazing sales hub to give reps and everybody in the organization a lot more help and deal-making tools that can win more in Q4 a little bit faster. Um, Not just Q4, but we always know their pressure is there. Uh, You can do things like smart sequences. You can do deal management. You can track and close everything all in one place. It's got some AI forecasting tools now. It's also got the ability to help write your sequences and cadences with some AI. So if you don't know, go check out HubSpot.com slash sales, HubSpot.com slash sales. All right, Scott, kick us off.
0: Yeah, we're going to welcome Julian Lumpkin, founder and CEO of Success Kit, who believes you need case studies and video testimonials because case studies tell the most powerful story possible, and he's here to help. What's going on, Julian?
2: Great to be here. Uh, The first thing I have to say, Richard, is there's no such thing as an exciting preseason NBA game.
0: Yes. Did you hear (laughs) that? Yes, 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 yes.
1: Dude, if you'd have watched it last night, you'd totally disagree. (laughs) So (laughs) But I think he's are watched
0: you, a few, and therefore he knows.
2: What, what, so <laughs> I've are turned you, a few what, what off. What
1: team is your team, Julian? Like, let's just make sure.
2: I like the Lakers, Richard.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Thank you, everybody, for coming to the podcast. That's <laughs> it. Um, <laughs>
0: That's the shortest show of all time. Julian, tell everybody about Success Kit. And sure. And it's so, be better than my little intro there.
2: Yeah, your intro is fine. Success Kit is a small agency. We focus just on creating case studies, like customer success stories, for B2B companies. So we are specialists at interviewing our clients' clients to create content about what how they help them succeed.
1: What what prompted this? Like, where did this, like, what did you do before this? And then you went, ah, he's here's experienced
0: this pain, for sure. Most founders start a company to solve a problem that they-
1: Scott, have. I'm not asking you. I, you know, we're building what? rapport here for the audience. <laughs>
2: Well, that that is correct. It was a pain I dealt with. Uh, I think I'm one of the only marketing agency owners that never worked in marketing before I started the agency. So I was in. I started my career in sales as an individual contributor. Eventually, became a sales manager at a, a VC-backed tech startup. And <clears throat> one of the things I noticed about the best sales reps is they used case studies or customer success stories way differently and more effectively than their peers did. And I don't mean attaching just a random PDF to every case study, you know, to an email they send to a prospect. What the best sales reps at my former company did is they learned about dozens of our clients' success stories, whether they were documented or not. And then they integrated those into their sales conversations. They learned about what the person they were speaking with cares about and shared directly relevant stories. I saw that... And I thought to myself, we are spending, as a sales organization, so much money on hiring the best sales reps, sales trainers, you know, an expensive tech stack, when the most important information that a sales rep has uh, is just our own examples of customer success. And it wasn't being made available to them. And that's what led me to start Success Kit.
1: When did you start it?
2: It was seven years ago. Uh, or uh, that I that I started, and then six and a half years ago, I left my job and went full time with it.
1: So you you started this on the side, the side hustle before Scott did, even on his side hustle.
2: Yeah, I didn't. How it did didn't you... go very long as a side hustle. Once yeah. I once I got the idea and started talking to people, I became obsessed with it, and I wanted to do my current employer the benefit of giving him a few more months because I was in charge of the sales team. Um, but it really, once the idea took hold, um, I went from sales manager to, um, you know, solo entrepreneur pretty quickly. So,
1: so here's the question, cause it's seven years ago may have felt different than it does today. And that's, that's the reason I'm asking. Did you feel yeah. like you had to keep it secret? Did you feel like, you know, I can't let my boss know I'm doing this um or were you or did you have a relationship with your org that like no I worked with them before so they didn't care
2: well you know it's interesting you bring that up um I I had a great relationship with my boss my boss's boss and everyone at my former company um but leaving was a challenge and didn't go as smoothly as I'd hoped um which is something I to an extent regret but The short answer is I did not want to keep it secret. Um, I got advice, very good advice, I think, early on from other entrepreneurs um, about the mistakes of keeping it secret um, or the drawbacks of keeping it secret and how much it was important for me to get the idea out there. So from day one, I wanted to move as quickly as possible to get the idea out there. And that meant moving on from my current job. They didn't want me to start the company and continue to work there publicly.
1: Got it. So how long did you wait before you told them? Well. Or how did, how long did it take for them to know you
2: were doing it? Maybe like I did tell them because I, what I was doing wasn't, I wasn't really doing that much publicly. I was starting it. So it was probably about only one month. Um, and then uh, per their request, I gave them another three months uh, working there. I finished out the year.
1: Got it. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you because you talked to a lot more people about this than I do. and, And Julian, maybe you do too. Maybe people come to you for the advice. Is it different now? Is it expected that my salespeople are going to have a side hustle and I can't do anything? Do you advise people to tell people? Like, you know, I'm just curious, what was it like seven years ago versus today?
0: You're asking me first. Either one of you. I think it is different today. I think it is much more expected that everyone is working on something, whatever that something is. Somebody's trying to find a way to monetize their skills, their hobbies, what have you. Uh, and so I think the employer overall has had to embrace it and accept it much more than they had to you know, way back then. I mean, I got shit about spending too much time on LinkedIn let alone a side hustle. You know what I mean? Like that's the level of control that people used to try to uh, elicit over you. So to me, it's, it's, there's been a huge difference. I, I, I'd be shocked if Julian tells me he disagrees with me.
2: I don't disagree. I don't know as much about it from the employer side, but I will say as the entrepreneur, one thing that's interesting is that it barely even occurred to me. I think that I wasn't encouraged by people I was getting advice from as much as I would now to start it as a side hustle. So for me, and this may just be a matter of my personality, it was very much like all or nothing. Like I didn't want to do a side hustle. I don't think I understood the value of keeping a job and building something on the side. So I think maybe it's different from what you're asking, but I think that it wasn't as popular among potential entrepreneurs to build something on the side.
0: I would say there wasn't as much support. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And there was nobody to go model yourself after and ask questions. Right. Like, you know, I think, I think I, I think I, not from a side hustle perspective, but I've always been the advice giver for the last 10 years. And even before I started my business. Um, but I, I like, who would I go to? Like, you know, Scott, Scott was still doing, you know, when I first started doing this, Scott was my guy to go bounce ideas and ask for advice, but he hadn't done it either. You know but he's i know scott's smart enough to know how to figure it out like that's that's one of the 12 reasons i keep him in my life
0: <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot more resources now yeah not just um other people on this kind of journey but there's a million podcasts there's a million courses and books and communities all about this kind of none of that stuff existed in 2016 or 15 or whatever year it was. So um, I wanna pivot away from this a little bit and get back to this topic of case studies and testimonials because where do I begin? Um, I spent the majority of my life at super early stage companies. And in the beginning, you do not have case studies or testimonials. And one challenge that I experienced many times is if I hired somebody who came from a larger organization who was used to having testimonials and case studies, and they came to this early stage company that had none of these things, it was like they were paralyzed and frozen. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to close this deal if we have no case studies and no testimonials? And I'm like, A, I should have learned my lesson not to hire those type of people for that stage of company. That's number one. But number two, I would be like, yo, how do you think those companies got their first clients, man? Like, you have to find a way still to make it happen even without testimonials and case studies. So my question is advice for people on what is the right time to start trying to acquire case studies and testimonials? And how do you sell without those two-part question, I guess?
2: Yeah. Selling without them is, is very difficult. Um, And I did when I was at a, the tech back technology company, I worked in kind of like a new, new product line. So we were essentially a very early stage startup. We didn't have our own case studies. Um, So I, I I felt that difference and, and I, you know, I don't have any, like, here's what you have to do differently. But in my experience, it fundamentally, having case studies fundamentally changes the sales cycle in the following way. When you don't have any case studies or testimonials, you need to be very upfront with the prospect about how new you are and get them on board as an early adopter champion. Um, Because if they're approaching it like a regular sales process, gather information, learn, figure out what, what my risk level is, then as they do that due diligence, they're going to be like, well, how come no one else has done this? So I think if you don't have case studies, you need to lead with the idea that this is new from the beginning um, to attract the right type of client and get that person on board. As far as when to start, um, as quickly as possible, um, even if, you know, and it doesn't mean hiring an agency like mine, you know, you don't need a separate agency if you're an early stage startup. but The difference of having one decent case study and zero case studies is actually huge. Even though you wanna have a lot more than one, if you, and I've been in both sides of the situation personally, the feeling of a prospect saying, can you send me a case study? And having to say, no, I don't have one. And even being able to just send them one, just send them something, makes a huge difference in a sales process. So I'd say if you're an early stage company, super early stage, you know, if you have a salesperson or, you know, you probably have some client that likes you enough to, uh, to go on record and talk about it. And I would do everything possible if I were an early stage company to get that first one done.
0: But do you think, do you think it's a little bit misleading or too soon if, if, you know, somebody has been with us for two months and all of a sudden they're a case study?
2: Depends what the case study says. Um, You know, we we have done case studies where it talks about how the implementation was smooth, the projected results and realize the person you're showing it to like, you know, they they get it. You know, if you've been if you're that early stage, the person you're going to speaking, you're you're selling to should have some idea of that already. So they're going to understand that the case study may not be able to speak to results and the, um, you know, some of the elements that a full complete case study would have. But just having another person let you use their name and logo and say, hey, I'm doing this, it's going well, is better than nothing. I think when you're in that early stage, like it's it's I I think of it more as like they're not going to be a strength. It's like, how do I, how do I make sure that lack of customer proof doesn't kill sales pro- sales cycles as much as possible? Because it will. How do, do I think about, about that?
0: What do you think about the tactic of you you were talking about being essentially like transparent and upfront with uh, prospects? about how new you are or whatever. What do you think about the tactic of essentially saying to those people, oh, I'm kind of hoping you're going to be our first case study, Julian. And and even to the point of you know, discounting in in exchange for a testimonial or a case study or join us at this event for for, for we'll give you access to this, we'll give you speaking engagement at our event or any any kind of quid pro quo type stuff. How do you feel about that as a strategy to acquire your initial case studies and testimonials? Good, bad?
2: I think that if you're a super early stage company, then yes. And I think then yes, you should, you should make uh, those concessions and be willing to offer a discount, though you might not have to because if someone's willing to pay you as a super early stage client, they're probably really on board with what you're doing. And you may be surprised how much they're willing to help you if you are late, later stage companies, I don't, or even just like you know, a medium sized hundred person company with a couple hundred clients, I don't think you should have to offer incentives to participate in a case study. And the vast majority of the time, my clients don't offer any incentive.
1: Yeah, it's, and oh, so go ahead.
2: Yeah, it, 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 it's not that complicated. That if you are a B two B company and delivering real results for a company and making someone's life and job easier or helping an entrepreneur make more money or save costs, asking them for 20 or 30 minutes to go on record isn't that big of a favor. The ones who will be a good case study will kinda wanna do it. Um, So each situation is different. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong or misleading about offering an incentive, but the vast majority of the time, you don't have to. If your clients are happy, some percentage of them will be willing to talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I see this, this case study thing as leverage, right? Um, so I will trade a case study for a 3% discount. Someone says they want a discount. Oh, there's three ways you can earn discounts. One is yeah. pay, one's a longer contract, one's a case study. So I, I encourage people to think about the leverage. What yep. I also do, and it works for me, in every single one of my contracts by default, because it's it's 99% of the time on my paper, there's a paragraph in the contract that says they agree to give me a CEO quote, a case study, and whatever. And you'd be surprised. I would say maybe 20 to 25% ever redline that out. So nice. it's which then again, it comes back to that negotiation. So maybe they redline it out, but then they come back and ask for a discount, right? So it's there. Now, do I go to every one of my clients and ask them for a case study? No, but it certainly makes it a whole lot easier when I do wanna go ask for one. And usually to your point, I would only ask the people who I know would do it anyway. Right, I'm not gonna, you know, I've had some very big fortune 500 clients and they actually signed my paper because it was faster. And I'm still comfortable to go ask them, but I'm also well aware they're going to be like, no, we can't do that. And I'm not going to go pull the, well, you signed a contract. Like, you know, so for me, I encourage people to include it and then use it as leverage, not the flip side, which is, oh shit, now I got to go ask them for something and it's too late.
2: So completely agree. I encourage my clients to do it in the order that you suggested. It's very different of them saying, can I have a discount and you saying, oh, you know, here are some ways versus, Hey, will you be willing to be in a case study? And I'll give you this. If you do, I think you stated it perfectly.
1: Yeah. So I have a a question. So I've been tossing around this phrase and I can't say that I created it, but you know, the difference between story selling and storytelling. And so I'm curious as you think about case studies, does that resonate or is it something you've been saying all along? Is it Richard, you're fucking stupid.
2: Can you expand upon what that means? That's
1: why I'm asking you the question. What do you think?
2: (laughs) Story, storytelling versus story selling. Yeah. I think if I'm hearing, if I'm understanding it correctly, storytelling is, is more authentic when you're telling actual stories and, you know, maybe this is a little bit different from the direction that that you were going with it, but what I think of when I hear that is what is important about case studies is not just like having them and just like emailing them out to people, but actually understanding them and integrating them in a conversation. So people have a lot of these like negative connotations or negative ideas when they hear case study because they think of when a sales rep just sends them a case study out of context. Hey, how would you like to save 10%? And you're like, ignore, delete, you know, et cetera. So people start to say, oh, case studies don't help with sales. And, and maybe that's like the kind of like the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it when this is truly integrated into your sales process is that the sales rep is not reliant on the PDF case study. They know the stories. We, you know, it's really not that complicated. You know how you helped your own customers. And then you're building a sales process where you're not like, hey, let me just tell you about this case study. The prospect is saying, oh, well, you know, I really like that idea, but I know my, you know, CFO currently uses 12 spreadsheets for that. So it would take forever to convert it to your software. And their sales rep, instead of saying, oh, let me show you how you can quickly convert it, is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally understand what you mean. That reminds me of Jim. Um, Do you know, you know, Acme Corporation, well, they were also using 14 spreadsheets and, and you go through it and then you send them the case study. So do you think that's storytelling or do you think that's story selling? Whichever the, is story selling the good one or the bad one? That's why I'm asking the question.
1: <laughs> I, have, I, think- I have an answer, I'm, <laughs> but it's, but again, it's, I've been tossing it around. So I think I have my vision of it and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what does the market say about that versus what? He's Re-
0: trying to pressure test the level of genius that he thinks <laughs> that he uh, is right
2: now. I think what's tripping me up and and hopefully maybe you can understand when I hear the term storytelling, I can think of that in a very positive way. Like storytelling is good. And I can think of it as like, Oh, that sales rep is storytelling. Like he's making things up. So that's why I'm not quite sure the context you mean storytelling.
1: So I'll, so I see it differently, but I'm, I'm open to the debate, Scott, you can be the final judge and jury. Um, you know, is that, For me, storytelling is, it it can feel cold and not genuine. Mm. Whereas story selling is using the story in the way you suggested, like the feel felt found, like, hey, you know, letting the story do the selling for you, not me telling you why you need this. So that's my vision of it. But I don't know that I'm right or wrong about the definition. So... um,
2: so I understand. think the core the core important idea is exactly right and there really is a difference that a lot of us have felt of someone kind of inauthentically using these things mm-hmm. versus someone who really understands them and is integrating them into a conversation and a sales process.
1: Yeah. Scott who's right? I don't know.
0: Don't,
1: don't be know. Switzerland, come on.
0: I don't know I don't know who's right. You're 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 splitting uh atoms here. Right. Yeah.
1: Typical Scott.
0: You're in the minutia. You're in the minutia.
1: Yeah, Scott doesn't do minutia. So <laughs> what?
0: Get bogged um, down by uh, small details like that.
1: So, you know, going back to your IC days, right? Um, how long did it take you to learn your stories, your your case studies, and how long should it take? Where should where should this be in ramp time?
2: Well. I think I can answer it better as when I was a sales manager and really encouraging this because it wasn't until I became a sales manager that I really started to understand this. And I think that the answer is day one. Like if I were onboarding a sales rep really? and I'm sure a lot of people do what better way, like to, just to help them understand what your company or what your tech does than hearing your clients explain it. So, if I were and and I did this to an extent, we had limited case studies. But when I'm explaining at the very beginning the value that we provide, I would be showing and making sure that sales rep is learning the story. so they learn about how the company works and helps the clients through the customers' eyes. Because I always think that that perspective is more powerful. So I would really use it use that as a starting point to to build the foundation. And, and I, I remember we did this when I was a sales manager, we'd have uh, new reps read all of our case studies during their first week. And then we'd quiz them about it. A... That,
1: that's always the balance I've always heard of like, but they don't know what we do yet. So how are they going to understand the story? And, you know, sort of, but I, I feel like it's at some point they just have to learn both. So who
2: I think a good, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because that also depends that that also goes into what makes a good case study because uh, in my opinion a good case study should be able to be understood by a non-industry expert if you're writing a for the, for the most part there are exceptions where you need super technical case studies but putting those exceptions aside for the most part a case study should be understandable by someone who is not an expert because remember the prospect is not an expert on your solution so the reason you know, that we focus on the customer interview is that the, the, your customers have a way of breaking down the value you provide and the technical details into very simplified ways. They aren't in the weeds. They aren't in the technical jargon. They just describe things. And my position is that your prospects think like your clients, not like your VP of product who knows all the details and can speak about it. So one thing I tell my clients is like, you may be able to describe what you do more precisely than what than your client can, but the way that your client talks about your value is going to connect better with the prospect because they're, that's where their head is at. So that sales rep does need to learn the technical details. And I'm not saying case studies cover all of it. But from the very beginning, they should be exposed to how do our clients talk about the value we provide?
0: It's almost like he's saying the customer's story is the elevator pitch.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Good. I am. Let's ruminate on that for a few minutes while Richard tells us about some friends of ours who are also hosting podcasts and have incredible ways to learn that you should check out.
1: Yeah, by all means, again, thanks to the HubSpot HubSpot Podcast Network. If you haven't checked it out, please do tons of great podcasts like our good friend, John Barrows, who has Make It Happen Mondays. Um, Scott, are you doing a podcast on your new sales training thing with him? What are you doing? Is it going to be a lot? Yeah, of-
0: it's, on, it's on his uh, Make It Happen Mondays show. This is yeah, my so that- like, 900th appearance on his show, I think.
1: God, I'm only at like four. I introduced <laughs> you to the guy. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, if you don't know John Barrow and you're in sales, I don't know where you've been, but please check out Make It Happen Monday podcast. There's tons of great content out there. Um, John has this great ability to talk to people and grab insights and share knowledge and talk about the future of sales in ways we sort of think about in the back of our head but are too afraid to admit. So, All right. Back over, Scott. What was the question?
0: Not so much a question, but I I was listening to Julian talk and I I was thinking, hey, uh, it's almost like he's saying that the customer's story and their explanation becomes the elevator pitch, which is ideally this like super simple sentence or two that you can tell to your grandmother or, you know, your kid and they can figure out what the hell it is that you do.
2: Yeah, and 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 I think it's it's true in like uh, from an overall perspective, like you're talking about about like defining the brand, but also in like describing a product or or a feature rather or the way that something works. They just have a very different and simplified way of talking about it um, that I think is really really underappreciated. You know, it's really not that complicated that the way your customers talk about your value is going to relate really well to future potential customers.
1: Scott, and B2C
2: it- marketers have understood this forever, right? You know, you can't, everywhere you go, anything you buy, you're, you're you're getting reviews in front of you. People don't buy a, you know, $5 trinket on Amazon without reading what other people said first. The B2B version is a little more complex, but I think it's just the way that our, our, our minds work and our sort of, it also relates to like, Part of this, I think, relates to people's natural skepticism towards claims from salespeople and marketers, Um, that people just naturally have a wall up to everything they hear. But when it's put in terms that are very clearly not coming directly from the salesperson or from a marketing department, people react very differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can think about, look, Snickers satisfies milk. It does a body good. Got milk. Like there's there's they're keying in on that emotional piece, right? The personal story, and they narrowed it down. You said, "You know, I agree with you. Sometimes we make it so overly complex, right? Like don't talk about what you do, talk about the pains you solve. So Scott, if you had to change your elevator pitch right now, based on a customer case study, what would it be? Based on a
0: customer case study.
1: Scott, what do you do? Yeah.
0: I help you figure out your go-to-market strategy.
1: Okay, yeah, but you sound like everybody else. Now I use a case study. Now
2: I use a well or maybe think... instead of a case study, like I would just ask it like this: like if we talk to your best clients and I sat down with them informally, uh how would they describe what you do and why it's important and why it's important?
0: They would say I help organize all of the ideas and thoughts that they have and put it into an actual repeatable sales process in motion.
1: That's way more interesting than I help people with go-to market strategies.
0: It's actually- the you, difficult. it's more interesting. That was yeah. like pulling teeth for me. I, I, like I heard myself speak and wanted to slap myself.
1: In. But the funny thing is, Scott, this is what you do to your own customers. I know you You would ask- I
0: don't them. like doing it to myself.
1: Well, who does? But that's what I'm here for. I'm here. I'm here to make you uncomfortable. That's what about. I'm.
0: That's what I'm realizing. I don't like this exercise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is that part, Julian, uh, where we sort of turn it over to you. What, what questions do you have for us?
2: Yeah, um, I guess my first question, because I, you know, you guys have been sales and you're entrepreneurs and business owners yourself now. Can you think of some either good or bad examples of when sales reps have either effectively or ineffectively tried to use case studies or customer proof in sales processes with you?
0: Oh, God.
1: You with mean? like they're pitching us?
2: Yeah, like someone selling you something. Can you think of either times where it went really poorly or really well, someone using customer success stories?
0: Honestly, half the prospecting emails that I get have a case study testimonial-like thing in them. Right?
2: Hey, Scott, what about once you're really engaged in the sales process?
0: Then I would say a poor way is they just lob me over a one pager that looks, you know, sexy and they expect me to be wowed by it and pull the trigger. And candidly, I don't even open that attachment. Yeah.
2: Can you think I, of an example of when it went really well?
0: No, but I'm not the right person to talk to about that because I buy nothing. Okay. Right. <laughs> Richard, on the other hand, buys stuff, everything. Yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to sell something to surfing sales, don't reach out to me, you reach out to Richard.
1: No, no, cuz we Scott won't <laughs> let me spend the money. I can tell you that. But um uh, That's true also. So the challenge I see that I experience in the bad situation is um it's not relevant to me. They don't know me. And that I mean that happens certainly at the at the pitching level, right? But they want to tell me the story of You know, like I can remember there was a a review site that wanted me to buy into their stuff. And I was trying to, uh, you know, the stories they were telling me, you know, they were comparing me to software companies. I'm like, but I'm not a software company. Right. Like, I I don't I don't care. We know this all the time. Like we know, look, if Coca-Cola could be my client. But if I go talk to Pepsi, Pepsi's going to say, yeah, who else have you done stuff in our industry with? I'll be like Coca-Cola. And they'll be like, yeah, but we're nothing like Coca-Cola. Right when in fact they're very much like, you know, in the consumer mind. So that's the piece where I think they miss is they don't they don't know their customer. They haven't done enough of the research, or they 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 just bring up the wrong story. Um, yeah, the right story um, works when it's I you know positioned as this is what we help you do. And if you and if you want help let us know and if not that's okay right because they may or may not know um, so that's a piece of it and then deeper in the sales cycle by the way when they bring up the wrong case study back to the first example um the reason they're bringing up the wrong one is because their discovery skills suck they're not good at figuring out where my pains are. They t- they only talk about surface pains. They haven't gotten deep enough to then be able to match the alignment because, you know, people don't, people, people buy emo- off emotion. They don't buy off words. So it's those sales reps who just verbatim, you know, garbage dump the wrong story at the wrong time. So.
2: Yeah. Your, your friend, John Barros, um, said it really well a while back. He said this kind of offhand. I've always held on to it. He said, uh, marketing is about content. Sales is about context. Yeah. You can have all this content, um, but you have to put it in the right context. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's not valuable. Yeah. Um, another thing I'd be very curious to hear your guys' opinion on um, is like we talked about like an elevator pitch or like the value of, uh, uh, of what we do. You know, what my company does is really straightforward. Uh, So as business owners and sales experts yourself, I'm curious, what what messaging do you think would be particularly valuable for me to talk about why companies need case studies if they don't have them now?
1: Dude, he just asked us to do our job for free. That's impressive.
2: (laughs) On your own podcast. Oh, God. Well done. Well played.
0: Well, one of the things that you alluded to earlier was essentially that it increases win rates. You didn't use that phrase, but that was what I think you were alluding to. So I think maybe messaging about increasing win rates, maybe um, shrinking the sales cycle. I think uh, increasing average contract value potentially. uh, Something about maybe stickiness of a customer. Um, You know, example, somebody without a testimonial maybe tries to jump ship after six months somebody with a testimonial is like, it's working not as fast as I thought, but it is working. I'm going to give them more time. So maybe there's, you know, less churn. There's four ideas.
1: Nice. My first one, um, is something like you know, solving the frustration you might experience because you're not sure how to tell the story in the moment. Hmm. Uh, and that might be more of an executive level or an early stage founder, right? Who's going from founder-led sales, right? Because founder-led sales, their biggest pain is, why can't my reps do what I did to get the first 10 clients, right? So it's because they don't have the story. So, so that to me is a piece. And then I always try to, whenever I do this stuff, I always try to figure out, well, what pain do they feel? And can I put that into the pitch, right? It's It's, you know, you know, it's driving your revenue by letting your customers help your team sell,
2: not just your sales team or something like that, you know, that. I like that. So, An idea of positioning your customers with your sales reps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So teaching your reps how to use case studies to close more deals. That feels more marketing-ish though than, that feels like storytelling, not story selling. Hmm nice cool all right well thank you julian this has been awesome great to to learn this we have not had this topic come up although it's something we all know about so i'm really glad we have it Um,
0: something we all wish we had more of
1: yes so uh and look scott just got a brand new pitch out of this he's going to go test it now (laughs) (laughs) uh but thank you julian how can people get a hold of you what's the
2: easiest? First of all, thank you for having me. Like I told you guys, I've been following both of your content on LinkedIn for for a long time, so it's really uh, really an honor to be here and on your podcast. Um, if people want to find me, um, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. My name is Julian Lumpkin, so you can follow what I'm doing there. Uh, if you want to find SuccessKit, Kit, we are at successkit.io, and I'm happy to answer any questions you know about your case studies, how to use them, you know, quick advice on how to create them. We produce a lot of content about how to do this yourself that's free. Um, so feel free to check it out.
0: Free case study teardowns with Julian Lumpkin.
2: That is right. There you go. Right
1: that, that's a pain you solve. Like yeah. We get you started on figuring out how okay. to tell your case study. We just, haven't, we, haven't just we just
0: decided that you're offering a free service to all the Surf and Sales listeners out there. Free case study teardown with Julian Lumpkin. You might you might CEO get your inbox
1: might get flooded by like 3 people. So.
2: I mean, that sounds like a uh, sales meeting to me. So I'll I would go. take that. If someone says they want to me to break down their case studies for them, I will do that for free any day anytime.
0: Right on. Thanks so much for joining us Julian. Thanks, Julie. We will see everybody next time on the Surf and Sales podcast.
2: Thanks guys. See ya.